0: And welcome back to another episode of Issue by Issue Crisis, a DC Comics Completionist podcast, the only podcast I know that's going issue by issue from Crisis on Infinite Earths number one to the present. I'm your host, as always, Nick Byers. And if we look at the calendar, yeah, that's right. It's a Monday. I dropped the ball last week. Uh, It was holiday Christmas week there was a lot of stuff going on and I didn't have a lot of time to record. So as a way to make up for that, I am giving you both a issue by issue golden age and an issue by issue crisis on Monday. But guess what? You're also getting another issue by issue crisis on its regular day on Friday. That's for a, that's as a way for me to make it up to you to say, I'm sorry, That's a Mia culpa. Uh, but that's, that's the deal. That's why you're hearing me on Monday as opposed to uh, Friday in terms of crisis, uh, the crisis episodes. Um, so that's, that's exciting, I think. And, and hopefully, you know, hopefully this makes up for the fact that I didn't put out any episodes last week. Uh, it makes sense why podcasts tend to take a break that week. It's very, very busy, uh, typically, depending on your family situation and your holiday celebrating situation. Uh, so let's get into this week's first episode of Issue by Issue Crisis. Uh, it's going to be a shorter one, mostly because the second issue we're going to be covered covering is 45 pages long, as opposed to the 23 pages that are standard. Uh, 23, 22, uh, 21 sometimes, uh, or shorter, uh, depending on the series we're talking about. But speaking of the series that we're talking about, let's tell you what they are. Uh, we are talking about Sergeant Rock number thirty. 30- Three ninety nine and Superman Special number three, which is a uh, once a year Superman issue that uh, comes out yearly. Like I said, and that's why it's forty five pages long as opposed to the standard length that comics are. As I've said, uh, but let's talk about the first one. Uh, oh, I should say no real world history this episode because both of these issues come out January seventeenth, nineteen eighty five like the previous crisis issues have. So we're not going to be rehashing uh, these these real-world history of when these issues were coming out. So, Sergeant Rock number 399 uh, was released January 7th, 1985, like I said. Cover date, April 1985. Uh, and we have a debut, uh, and technically a couple debuts, but um, one's more of just like a short cameo. They don't really do anything in this issue. But we have Sergeant Rock, uh, otherwise known as Sergeant Franklin Rock, uh, the leader of Easy Company, he debuted in Our Army at War number 81, which released on February 3rd, 1959. So he's a fairly old character. Um, and you may be asking, why are we covering uh, a army character? Uh, which is uh, was a portion of comic books for a long time, but it's kind of gone by the wayside a little bit now into the more uh, modern times where superheroes have... Kind of firmly taken hold on the vast majority of the comic industry, especially the big two, uh, uh, Marvel and DC. The reason we're talking about Sergeant Rock is because he is a, a fairly important person in the DC Comics universe. Uh, you know, he's one of those characters from the War uh, books, the War comics from back in the nineteen you know forties and fifties that has actually had somewhat of a firm standing in the DC universe. He, uh, Sergeant Rock and Easy Company, they have tie-in issues to Crisis on Infinite Earths. So, uh, at least while they are still around, we're going to cover them just so that when those tie-in or those parts that happen with them involved, we know who they are, you know? So, uh, this issue was written by Robert Kaniger, uh, penciled by Adrian Gonzalez, Lettered by Adam Cupbert. Cupbert. Not Cupbert. uh And colored by Tatiana Wood. Uh, so let's get into it. Uh, it starts... Uh, it starts. The cover, as always, is um, what we're going to start with. It starts at the top. It says, Sergeant Rock is dead. So that's that's not a great start. Because that would mean that this is the, last, the first and last time that we're going to be covering Sergeant Rock. So that's sad. Um, uh, on the cover is... Uh, some, a group of dead Nazi soldiers, because this is set in World War II, um, a green cloaked figure, we can't see his face, we can only see his hands, uh, and there is a living Nazi soldier on his knees in the snow, uh, attempting to shoot a gun at this cloaked figure, so hopefully, uh, the cloaked figure will, uh, help us figure out why Sergeant Rock is dead, and, uh, and what 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 happens next so the comic itself the series the story itself starts off with uh a scene in the woods uh it's snowing Uh, everyone's dressed in other than sergeant rock sergeant rock has his sort of he doesn't have a coat on uh and neither do the the other american army men behind him they are standing in front of a group of nazi soldiers uh who are um, holding them all at gunpoint. Uh, we, we learned that Sergeant Rock and the men behind him, which are not Easy Company, they are Baker Company, uh, so not his normal uh, subordinates, uh, they are being held at gunpoint, and their hands are tied behind their backs uh, as prisoners of war. Now, there are rules to prisoners of war. You have to treat them properly. There's a whole Geneva Convention. I'm not a expert on military relations so i don't know all the rules from prisoners of war but you have to treat them fairly well all things considered um but this leader of uh this nazi platoon well no, that's naval i i don't know what not i don't know what the nazis called their groups of soldiers but uh his name is Car- sergeant carl tanzer Uh and so he is he is he is telling the prisoners of war to beg for their lives to get on their knees and beg for their lives. Uh they said no. Uh Sergeant Rock says, Baker Company stand fast, no one begs. Uh Baker Company behind him says, We ain't easy company, Sergeant Rock, but you can count on Baker not to beg, no matter what. So they've got some they've got some chutzpah, you know, they've got some cojones. Uh they are they're gonna stand firm in the face of gunfire. So uh, Tanzer is going to count to three before uh, having his men unload their guns on on these prisoners of war. Uh, he starts counting. He starts counting one, uh, and Sergeant Rock says, "We're prisoners of war. Our hands are tied behind our backs. You can't do this." Tanzer says two. We then cut two. Uh, I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't say if this is earlier or later. It's. But it's implied that it's earlier because Sergeant Rock is then talking to Easy Company, specifically Bulldozer, a member of Easy Company. He's saying, Baker lost all their officers and three stripers. Bulldozer, take over. Bring Easy up as fast as you can. Hoof it. So, okay, now I'm understanding this. I didn't really understand it the first time when I read it before we started recording. But Sergeant Rock is getting in a Jeep, and he is going to drive to Baker and... Easy Company is going to go on foot uh, to meet up with them, but Sergeant Rock is going to go there so that there's someone in command. That makes sense now. We're all up to speed, including me. So we're now in the past. Not very long in the past, but we're in the past. So Sergeant Rock is um, he's driving. He avoids hitting a deer, uh, and he uh, is you know just driving along uh, towards Baker Company when a barrage of stick grenades come down from the skies. Now, stick grenades are something from from World War II and probably World War One as well, uh, where they are grenades, but instead of the standard grenade you're thinking of that looks kind of like a pineapple, it's more of a a you know a clump of explosives on one end, and then there is a handle that you use for chucking it. Which, you know, I feel like that would actually go further, but Obviously, it's way easier to store without that big stick. So uh, a a, a barrage of stick grenades come down and explode uh, Sergeant Rock and his Jeep. And uh, when he sort of shakes it off and is coming to laying on the ground, he is surrounded by uh, this group of Nazis that we saw previously. Uh, And then we cut back to the present where... uh, Tanzer is about to give the firing order, uh, and he does, and the prisoners are all obviously shot, they can't do anything, they can't run, they can't defend themselves, their hands are tied behind their backs, it's a, it's a pretty gruesome scene, the artwork is good, but it's, it's, it's gruesome, um, they are, they are, uh, riddled with bullets, uh, and they fall to the ground, and it says, there's some really poetic language, um, the rattle of automatic weapons echoes through the woods near Malmedy, as lead lashes the bound prisoners to the ground. The snow hemorrhages red patterns around torn bodies, which which I think is, is uh, quite poetic, if not gruesome and dark. Uh, we then cut to a few hours later when uh, Bulldozer and the rest of Easy Company finally reach the position that Baker Company was at, and they discover all of these bloody bullet Riddled bodies. Uh, They call it a massacre because obviously that's what it is. Um, They they see that their hands are tied behind their backs, which is um, against uh, against the rules, and it makes it makes you know it doesn't really make sense that war has rules, but war does have rules. And in modern times, Um, they say this ain't this ain't war. It's murder, which is true. And uh, they look among the bodies uh, for the dog tags, and one of the dog tags that they find is Rock, comma Frank. Which is Sergeant Rock's dog tags, and so they say Sergeant Rock is dead. Um, and so then they Easy Company begins burying the bodies. Uh, you know, uh, it's re- respectful. Uh, we then cut to the uh, group of Nazi soldiers. They are uh, walking through the woods, uh, presumably back to wherever they were located, where they're based out of their headquarters, uh, away from the massacre uh, that they just committed in the woods. They're practicing proper stealth uh, for warfare. Uh, they're they're stepping in each other's footsteps, which is a tactic to hide numbers, uh, especially in something where tracks are easily discernible, like uh, the winter, because there's there's a lot of snow in this presumably German forest uh, or European forest in, in general. It Could be France. Could be could be anywhere in Europe. Uh, so. Uh, they are walking in a single file line, and at the rear uh, is is one of one of them. He's you know periodically turning around to check for anyone following them. It's it's proper you know taking uh, bringing up the rear uh, sort of behavior. Uh, when out of the darkness, uh, a, the cloaked figure that we saw on the cover comes out, and there's a very there's a very great full page spread of uh, no no words no text it's just it's it's all seen in the reflection of an owl's eye the cloak figure brings this nazi soldier to the ground uh chokes him to death steals his gun steals his knife and steals any of his stick grenades that he has and leads him or leaves him Uh, dead uh, lying on the the ground and it's all just seen in a in the red reflection in this owl that's perched on this tree's eyes it's very very great art Um, and then he begins walking in this single file line uh, following the footsteps of this uh, Nazi you know group Uh, and just systematically knocking the one in front of him down killing him and and moving on to the next uh, slowly uh, and surely and methodically and it's it's pretty good, uh, and finally there's five left for well it's a, it looks like five in one panel but then in the next panel there's only four, so that's just confusing from an art standpoint. But the one who was in the back, or you know the one the last one that's in the back, obviously looked behind him, saw that the men behind him were all dead. And he runs up to the front and he's like saying, Sergeant Tanzer, behind us dead, all dead, as if struck by a ghost. Sorry if that was a terrible German accent. It kind of got Scottish there at the end. That's my bad. Um, So Sergeant Tanzer says, don't be stupid, soldier. We are being followed by someone who has found the dead prisoners. Form a circle. And so they, I'm really sorry for the Germans out there. It's it's very Arnold. um, And I'm sorry. I don't even know if he's Austrian, isn't he? He's not German. Um, so they form a circle, uh, which is a, a good tactic. Cause then no one's back is to the outside. Everyone's, everyone's back is covered and they say fire at anything that moves. So they stay alert. They stand like that for a while. And when nothing comes out of the woods, they decide to continue moving, but being very, very vigilant and alert for any sound or movement that they hear. So it's, they have to be very, very vigilant, very ready. Uh, and then they come to a river. Um, and obviously they have to get across this river, but it feels really, really weird for them to like ford this river, uh, or, or walk through this river because like it's uh, the water's up to their shoulders and it's winter. So like, even if they get out, like, even if they cross this river, they still have to like walk in the snow and the cold with all wet clothes. It just feels like a recipe for hypothermia or pneumonia or something. Uh, But they do, they begin crossing this river and one of them gets grabbed by something or someone, Uh, it is the cloaked figure figure we see, uh, from underneath the water. He pulls him underwater and stabs him uh, to death with uh, the knife, presumably from one of the other soldiers. Uh, The three remaining Nazis get to the other side of the river and uh, one looks back and realizes that their fourth comrade is floating in the river dead so they all take out their stick grenades and throw it into the water um, which then explodes in a big explosion, uh, three grenades worth of explosion and they say whatever it was could not survive these explosions so uh, up the hill hurry, so they begin going up the hill. But out from the water comes that cloaked figure, and he has a gun. If you remember, he took the gun from the first soldier that he killed, and he just lets a barrage of bullets go, and it just uh A lot of good, a lot of good onomatopoeus in this one. Bwee. I don't know what bwee is for a gun sound, but bwee. Um. So... Uh, one uh, one the final Nazi Tanzer, he gets away, he dodges bullets, uh, luckily, and and begins running, um, and he's fleeing, uh, and we then cut back to Easy Company back in the woods near uh, Malmedy, and they hear someone coming from the woods or noises, human noises coming from the woods, and. They say to, uh, or bulldozer says to wait for, uh, them to get closer. So hold your fire until they get here. They see, uh, Sergeant Tanzer come out from the woods and they say, it's an SS sergeant. Um, they, they can tell that someone's following him cause he keeps looking back and he's yelling behind him. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Whatever you are, man or devil. And he's, he's shooting, you know, his bullets back at, at them. Um, and, uh, the, the apparition person ch- charging after him or chasing after him, uh, his weapon clicks empty. It's, uh, out of bullets. So he runs up to Tanzer and clubs him, uh, basically, uh, I think either to death or just knocks him out. It's not clear, um. Uh, well, so it says in fear and desperation, SS Sergeant Tanzer has fled back to the grisly grave of his mass murder. His brain explodes under splintering steel as he plunges into endless blackness. So I'm going to assume that the splintering steel is the gun that this apparition is hitting him in the face with. So I'm assuming the endless blackness is probably death, either that or he's knocked out, but then that wouldn't be endless now, would it? Because he'll eventually wake up. The hood of the apparition uh, falls back and we see who it actually is under there and uh, Easy Company is relieved because it is Sergeant Rock, Sergeant Franklin Rock. He is alive. And they say, but we found your dog tags. And he's like, yeah, I know. And, And Bulldozer realizes, oh, you planted them so we wouldn't try to find you. You didn't want to risk us being gunned down like Baker Company. And Rock says with a stern look on his face, he says forget it bulldozer it's all over now whatever happened here near the woods of malmody ain't never gonna be forgotten and then that's the end a short little 19 page uh clandestine action in in the woods by sergeant rock uh with a little bit of uh fear psychological torment uh and guerrilla warfare tactics uh pretty good pretty good uh I haven't read very many war stories, war comics, so it could be good, could be bad. I don't know. Could be par for the course uh, in terms of what sort of things happen in a comic book like this. But overall, I think it's it's fine. Uh, I'm not a big World War II guy, but uh, this was this was this was fine in my opinion. So uh, let's move on to Superman Special Number Three. Uh, we have a couple debuts in this one, obviously. Release date January seventeenth, nineteen eighty five. Cover date of nineteen eighty five because, as I said, it's a yearly sort of situation. A um, uh, couple debuts, like I said, we have Amazo and his creator Professor Ivo. They're debuting on the podcast, I should say, not in comic books because they both debuted in Brave and the Bold number thirty on April twenty eighth, nineteen sixty. So they are they've been around for twenty five years uh, almost so that's a, that's pretty that's a pretty long tenure for i think a pretty uh well-known uh and well-regarded villain of of the DC universe amazo as you know is a is a android uh, or yeah android i think is the best uh word for him that can mimic the powers of superheroes uh after you know observing them stuff like that uh he's created to be able to take on the justice league um so that's cool The authors, the -the behind-the-scenes production of this issue is uh, the plotter is E. Nelson Bridwell. Scripter is the the well-regarded Len Wein. Uh, Penciler is Irving H. Novick. Inker, Pablo Marcos. Letterer, Milton Snappen. And colorist, Eugene D'Angelo. So let's get into this issue. Okay, let's start with the cover. It's a pretty straightforward cover of Superman Special Number 3 um it is a dollar twenty five in nineteen eighty five and it is a dollar sixty in Canada and fifty p uh or pence I don't or pounds no not fifty pounds it must be pence in the uk uh it has Superman on the cover uh front and center and behind him is a mazo using some sort of ring to blast a green energy at Superman obviously kryptonite because I don't know, another green energy that would uh, affect Superman in such a way, because Superman's face, he's anguished. He's been shot in the back by Amazo. It's not good. Uh, So let's get into the the issue. So the issue starts out with Superman. Oh, I guess I should say the title of this issue is Amazo Means Mayhem. I don't know if that's the definition of Amazo, but uh, I guess Amazo means mayhem. So Superman is uh, in his Sanctuary of Solitude. Um no, sorry, his fortress of solitude. I don't know why I saw sanctuary. Oh, because there's one of the text boxes, sanctuary. Uh, in his fortress of solitude, and he is putting the amazo robot, or android, underneath one of those special domes that he stores treasures, relics, things of of uh interest in his fortress of solitude in his trophy room. And uh he's reminiscing about the last defeat of um amazo he he mentions that the core of the justice league virtually disbanded and our satellite headquarters no longer in use which if you have listened to the show know he is talking about the fact that the original justice league disbanded batman left uh all the other JLers uh, or justice leaguers uh quit because aquaman as the acting head uh, or always the head. I don't know if he was the head before Superman left. That doesn't really make sense. Uh, or if he was just the acting head. so that they had to be full time or not in it at all. And that's where we got Justice League Detroit. So what he means by the the core, meaning just Satana and elongated man and Aquaman and Martian manhunter being the only ones, uh, the original uh, core, not original core, but the core from the previous iteration around, uh, and the satellite being destroyed during the Mars-Earth War. Uh, and then he's thinking about the last time that mesa was defeated. He was shot into space, but Superman grabbed all of the parts and reconstructed him because it's too dangerous and scientifically valuable uh, to be uh, lost in space. Although I guess I don't know what, what benefit it is for it to be locked up in Superman's Fortress of Solitude, but, you know, he's... He can he can do whatever he wants. He's Superman. Uh, so after you know getting him set up all nice, he's standing there all prim and proper. Amazo is underneath his glass dome. Uh, Superman's standing there admiring him, and he suddenly just disappears in the blink of an eye, just vanishes. And so Superman's like, "Well, who could have done this? This is weird." Uh, so he goes to his supercomputer, computer, and he's like, ah, Luther and Brainiac? No, they 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 would think of themselves far too superior to use this android." because uh, they they think they're way smarter than Professor Ivo. Uh, the last person to use Amazo was The Key, who is a, a minor villain, uh, but he's behind bars. Uh, he's being reformed quite well. He says he's a model prisoner now. I doubt that, because I bet The Key will come back and do some nefarious um, deeds, probably later on. Uh, Professor Ivo, T.O. Morrow, and then he's like, wait a minute, Professor Ivo, what's this? Recently escaped from Arkham Asylum according to Superman's files. Current whereabouts unknown. And now this is the first part where I realize I don't know a lot about Professor Ivo or Professor Ivo's, uh, past. I only know him from like the Justice League cartoon. Obviously I don't have a lot of this. That's one of the main reasons I do this show is so that I can also read these comics. Uh, but Professor Ivo's face appears on Superman's supercomputer and he looks nasty. He's got, like, metal scales or, like, gray scales all over his face and, like, his mouth skin. There's, like, s- strings of or, like, cords of skin going between his his upper and bottom lip and from his nose and his teeth look really weird and sharp and he's got weird gold, like, buttons or... I, I, I'll i post this image. It's a buckwild image. Um, uh, We learn that Ivo built a mezo, but the last time the GALA fought him he used new androids against us which is an editor's note to jla number 218 uh, and then which makes sense considering amazo had attempted to kill iva once before which is a reference to action comics number 480 to 483 so um justice league two eighty two eighteen 218 came out in september of 1983 cover date so obviously a few months before that so it's been a couple almost a couple years since he fought uh Uh, Ivo, and uh, uh, Action Comics 480 to 483 came out in February, March, April, May of 1978, so it's been, you know, almost seven years since, I guess, um, uh, Amazo and Ivo have been uh, working together, so it's kind of, it's been a while since they've been, you know, they've always been, you know, it's Professor Ivo and Amazo, you know, But uh, they've had some squabbles. Uh, So Superman is out to uh, kind of find out what's going on. Find Obviously, he's got to find Professor Ivo. Because he is pretty certain that he's the guy who stole uh, Amazo. So he's going to go out and do that. And this, uh, we see Superman flying out of his Fortress of Solitude. And this is the first time I'm seeing uh, the big key. Now, if you don't know what the big key is, for the longest time, Superman's Fortress of Solitude was locked, but not with like any sort of, you know, super good lock or encryption or anything. It was just the only way to open the door was with a giant key that the only person who could ever possibly lift it is Superman. So his key is just sitting there. It's a huge key. It's like an arrow pointing right to the door, but it's just too big for anyone other than Superman to use it. So it's very funny to see it. Um, it'll come back in this issue uh, as a sort of refer- as a sort of uh, plot point. Um, so we then cut to a, a, a secret laboratory hidden deep within the Colorado Rockies. It is professor Ivo standing over the body of a meso, And he is uh, reconstructing his wiring and all, all the things to, to wake him up and bring him back to life. And he's talking about, uh, you know, what he's going to do, uh, what, what happened to Amazo. But then he's also going to, or he's also talking about what happened to him. He, he is no longer human in, in so much because he took a special serum uh, previously uh, to grant himself immortality, which, I mean, we've all been there. But unfortunately, instead of doing that, it transformed him into the inhuman monster that I explained and will post a picture of. Um, But he can regain his humanity uh, with Amazo's help and, in the process, cause Superman's death. So that's good for him, bad for us. Uh, We cut to Metropolis. Uh, Superman is flying to the WGBS uh, building where he works as Clark Kent, because he's got to put in his hours. You know, he's got he's to punch that clock. Clark Kent still has a, a 9 to 5, or although he's a, he's, a, uh, he's a television reporter, so probably not a 9 to 5 since his job starts at 6. But he has a job still, and he has to go to it. So he changes into Clark Kent, comes out from his favorite uh, closet, it says, his favorite storeroom, um, where he sees Jimmy Olsen talking to uh, the obituary editor, Ryan Lowell, who we learn has had uh, previous run-ins with Clark Kent and Superman, and some other man. We learn that this other man is Ryan's nephew, his sister's son, who is um, a magician uh, known as Presto, uh, which is what a, what a name, you know, the amazing Presto. Uh, if his name was Preston and he was, like, called P- Presto Preston or something, I don't know, I think that'd be better, but Presto is not a real person name. Um, but uh, Presto is a fan of Clark Kent, uh, and he gives him two tickets to the evening's performance of his magic show. So that's cool. Free tickets. Uh, we then cut back to Professor Ivo's lab. Amazo is waking up, and uh, Ivo is going to explain his plan to him. But first, he wants to test out if Amazo still has any of the powers he stole From the Justice League, and I know previously I said that Amazo does it by observing, but uh, I'm learning now, which shows how much I know about Amazo, that he actually steals the powers from the Justice League. So you know he so so even after they regained the superpowers, he had stolen from them a certain residue of that power remained in him, and the time has come to test that residue in performance. Uh, So Ivo and Amazo run through the the gamut. Yeah, run the gamut. Is that right? I don't know. Uh, of the Justice League Power. so he flies like Superman. He does uh, the whirlwind stuff like Red Tornado. He shrinks like the Atom. He stretches like Elongated Man. He runs fast like the Flash. He uh, creates will constructs, green energy constructs like Green Lantern, out of his out of his fake power ring or duplicate power ring which will come up later and I have questions about it and he does that and he does the black canary screen screen scream he telepathically talks to fish like Aquaman and uh so he seems to have have some of the power still uh kind of up inside of him so it's good the only person who doesn't have powers of is Firestorm and I guess presumably Wonder Woman because Wonder Woman didn't come up but maybe maybe she wasn't around when that was happening so Ivo explains that his plan is for Amazo to go and capture Superman bring him back and put him in Professor Ivo's life siphon machine which will siphon his life force and put it into Ivo curing him of his deformity and giving him you know life but he can't use his siphoning powers, Amazo. Amazo can't use his power siphoning abilities. He has to bring Superman back fully powered and uh, to his you know, full potential because otherwise the machine won't work. So Amazo says that he'll do it and and off he flies. Uh, we then cut to the Galaxy uh, Broadcasting Building where Clark Kent is five minutes early for his on-air Uh, reporting at the on the six o'clock news which is a big deal because apparently clark is always late which makes sense because superheroes are always you know they've got too many irons in the fire and they're always late uh he sits down next to his co-host uh lana lang now i don't like lana lang as a newspaper news person i think that it makes her too much like a lois lane sort of copy which I understand basically why she was created. But I like her where she's um, a scientist. Like in the New 52, uh, which as I've said previously, I've, I've been reading through. I've made it to DCU at this point, uh, And I'm, uh, you know, a little ways from rebirth, but I'm getting closer. Uh, she's uh, She's an engineer. So I like that better. I like her to be more of a, not a Lois Lane clone. So, and also in this, she calls, she keeps calling Clark love. And the way they spell it is L-U-V, and every time I see it, I'm like, ugh, stop it. Just say, like, Clark, or Honey, or Honey Bunches of Oats, or Schnookums. Don't say any of those things, actually. Just stop calling him love, uh, with a U. If they if they spelled it L-O-V-E, I'd have less of a problem. It's the L-U-V that I don't like. So, uh, they do their report, uh, but before that, Clark asks Lana if she wants to go to the magic show with him later. And she says like to. I'd love to, and this time they spell love, L-O-V-E. So, alright. Uh, they do their uh, 6 o'clock report. They start it. Yeah, Clark says, good evening. I'm Good evening, I'm Clark Kent at the Channel 8 News Desk with the 6 o'clock report. And I'm Lana Lang. At the top of the news tonight, uh, Clark picks up his paper. I guess teleprompters were the thing at this time. Uh, he picks up his paper, and on it it says, Clark Kent, I know your secret. What would you do to keep it a secret? <gasps> bum, bum, bum. Secret identity. Secret identity. Um, so Clark is taken aback, kind of shaken up about that. But he's able to shake it off, and then for the next 26 minutes is able to do his job like a normal news anchor. And uh, Lana says, And that's all from us for this evening. This is Lana's... This is Lana Lang. And Clark Kent, hoping your news isn't bad. I don't know how that's going to finish because what a weird sign off. hoping your news isn't bad. But uh, at that moment, Amazo crashes through the wall, which is like, wait, is Amazo the one who knows Clark Kent's secret? That feels weird. Um, he comes in and he and he's like, I want Superman and I want him now. And I should say, I haven't mentioned it because the things he said aren't really important, but we're going to get to uh quite a few pages cuz like i said this is 45 so quite a few pages where amazo is talking and his speech bubbles his his text is written different than everybody else's his is so it's it's between every word is a dot which kind of forces your brain to read it in a sort of halting jerking sense so it's like i want superman and I want him now. You can't even read it in your head in a smooth way because you come to that dot and you're like, oh, shoot, that's not a word. You move on. But it, it really does a good job of making it seem like he is talking in a sort of robotic, uh, halted, non-smooth motion. Uh, and it's really cool. I think it's a really creative way uh, to, to, to denote that. He comes in and the producer who earlier said... Uh, that it was shocking that Clark was five minutes early. He says, I knew it was too good to be true. When Kent showed up on time for once, I should have expected something else would spoil the broadcast. But who could have expected anything like this? And yeah, no, people don't typically expect Amazo. He's, he's much like the Spanish Inquisition that way. Um, Clara, uh, Amazo points at Lana and Clark, and he says, You, you are Superman's friends. Tell me where to find him. Uh, And Clark, uh, being very much unlike his golden age self, says, we don't know where to find Superman Amazo. And even if we did, we wouldn't tell you. And, uh, you know, Amazo grabs him and he's like, I could crush you into powder for defying me. Uh, And and Clark says, but will you, android? Will you actually commit cold blooded murder in front of millions of witnesses? And Amazo's like, oh, this is perfect. This is the perfect solution to my problem. He's like, Superman, hear me. You have humiliated me for the final time. I challenge you to meet me over Metropolis tonight at midnight to settle our conflict once and for all. I trust you will be there unless, of course, you are too frightened. My Amazo voice sounds a lot like a Dalek from Doctor Who. He's like, exterminate, you know. He shouldn't be. I feel like he should be more... A little bit more human-like, but still with that sort of, there, it is, done, now all that remains is to wait, you know, until midnight. Um, He says that, and while doing that, he flies through the hole that he created in the wall, and he says, "Uh, I trust you will, I should say it, I trust you will forgive my sudden entrance and exit, but perhaps I can atone for my over-enthusiasm in some small way. Uh, I'm not going to read everything that Amazo says because it takes, you know, twice as long as reading it like a normal person. But he uses backwards magic from Zatanna uh, to fix the hole in the wall. Uh, Clark sees this and he's like, I'm afraid I know how he fixed this wall and I don't like it one bit. Uh, He realizes that he stole the powers of Zatanna last time they fought. And magic is one, other than Kryptonite, of Superman's only weaknesses. So that's bad. Uh, but he's got a date with Amazo at midnight, but he's also got a date with Lana at, I don't know, eight. I don't know when this show was supposed to be. Um, so they, you know, they say, well, you know, I'll see you in an hour for the show or I'll pick you up in an hour for the show. Uh, so they, so Clark leaves and goes back to his apartment at 344 Clinton street, a third floor apartment. So I don't, I don't know if Metropolis steals, uh, place names from or street names from New York City or if it, that's just a fake maybe that's a reference to someone maybe someone's name's Clinton but he gets back to his apartment and on his lampshade is a note and it says in case you didn't understand my previous message Kent I know you're Superman so this person who knows his secret is not messing around but Clark is like it's not It's not Ivo it can't be Ivo or Mezo's little ex- exhibition at the studio earlier would have been unnecessary and if it was any of his other foes well, then they could have, you know, they could use this to strike at me when I least expected it. But what if it's not an enemy? What if it's one of my friends? But which one of my so-called friends with quotes around it would play so cruel a joke on me? His supervision doesn't reveal any fingerprints or anything like that. So he's like, hmm, the only thing he sees on the paper are smudges uh, where, where someone has smudged the ink. And he's like, where have I seen those smudges before? And he's like, Of course. Ryan Lowell's nephew, the amazing Presto. Those passes he gave me for tonight's show were smudged by his gloved hands because he's a magician and a dork and is wearing gloves just randomly in the middle of the day. He's not on stage. You don't need gloves. Nerd. And this is where we learn some information uh, from a previous issue of Action Comics. It's Action Comics number 429. Which came out in uh, November 1973, so probably closer to uh, buh, 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 October, September, August, probably July or August of 1973, um, where a sort of weird link between <laughs> between Ryan Lowell, the obituary editor's uh, word processing machine, which is b- what they had before computers, uh, personal computers were had word processing programs on them. Uh, It connected with uh, Clark's, or Superman's, diary, uh, like, recording machine in the Fortress of Solitude, so when Superman would tell his secrets to his diary uh, in the Fortress of Solitude, it would show up on Ryan's word processing machine, so Ryan learned Clark's secret identity as Superman in uh, Action Comics 429, and I guess that's just been, like, hanging around for Let's see 1973 seven five 12 years in Superman uh sort of uh lore because like we're uh, like the next action comics that happens from this issue is action comics number 566 so that's like close to getting close to a 150 issues of action comics uh like like closer right now closer to 137. Issues of action comics. And that's just been kind of like hanging around. Ryan Lowell, the obituary editor, knows that Clark Kent is Superman. What? Um, it's weird. It's really, really weird for just some random guy at the Daily Planet. Not Daily Planet. Galaxy Broadcasting. Uh, to know his secret. So, But Clark, back to this issue. Clark doesn't know why Ryan would tell his nephew his secret. So he's going to put that to the back of his mind. And come back to it later. Uh, Clark dresses up in his uh, nicest tuxedo. He's got a cummerbund. A red cummerbund with a red uh, bow tie. He looks like he's about to go uh, maybe be a or d' at an Italian restaurant or something. Uh, but he's going to go to a magic show at the Orpheum Theater with Lana Lang. who's going to call him Love. L-U-V. A bunch. They watch the show. And at a certain point, uh, Presto comes on and asks for a volunteer. Lana, being you know the the bubbly uh, outgoing uh, extrovert that she is, says, "Oh, choose me, choose me!" And she and presses says, "Oh, the illustrious Lana Lang, co-anchor of the popular WGBS Six O'clock Report." And he's like, "Oh, thank you, but I'm afraid I must refuse. For you know, for you see, I know your escort, the equally famous Clark Kent, and I don't want them them being the audience to suspect that they're working together. It's a plant." Um, so he asks a different young lady to be his volunteer, and Clark thinks Presto was grinning at me, taunting me. But that in itself proves nothing. All right, sure, Clark. Uh, later, uh, Lana wants to go back to her place for coffee. Wink, 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 wink. Um, but Clark says that uh, you know, from that struggle with Amazo earlier at the broadcasting building, uh, that he's tired, so he's going to go home to bed. And he calls for a cab, and then he heads home to his apartment, uh, presumably to get ready to fight Amazo at midnight. Who knows what time it is? Who knows how long a magic show takes? If it's any longer than an hour, I think maybe I'd want to leave, although magic is cool. Uh, he gets back to his apartment, and on his mirror is a message that is that is written. I was here, Superman. Where were you? And he's like, "What? Another message? Well, that that must rule out Presto as a you know as a suspect, because how could he be on stage, and writing a message on my mirror? Unless he did it with magic, maybe. Although he's not a real magician, he's not Satana. He's a fakey McFakerson. Um So you know, Clark says, "Unfortunately." That's a question I'll have to answer later, because right now, Superman has an appointment to keep. So Superman flies off, and he is flying to where the uh, agreed-upon place to meet was, uh, made by Amazo, Uh, when suddenly, just as the monotonous peal of a clock tower striking midnight can be faintly heard on the breeze, Amazo appears in front of Superman, and Superman's like, what? Wait a minute, what's happening? That was weird. You got the jump on me. Um, so now I'm going to summarize this fight. There's a lot of back and forth, uh, talk between Superman and Amazo, but it's not really important. Uh, it's just them talking and Amazo saying, I'm so much more powerful than you, Superman. And Superman being like, well, why am I so distract distracted in this fight? So I'm just going to mainly, mainly summarize the actions that take place, uh, uh, in the fight. So there's some back and forth punching, you know, first, first, the, the, the beginnings, the flirtations of the fight, just back and forth punching between Superman and Amazo. Uh, when Amazo is flying around like Superman, he's coming in for a double punch, a classic Superman flying double punch. When uh, Superman dodges out of the way, and uh, Superman's taunting him, uh, and he's like, "Oh, pound me into protoplasm, why don't you?" Not very likely. Ha ha. Uh, This is the point where Amazo realizes that a one-on-one battle of sheer brute strength will not work. uh, So he's got to use the other tricks up his sleeve. Which, in hindsight, why do you think a a, a 1v1 brute strength battle against Superman would work? He's much better than you. So it's time for Amazo to whip out some of his other powers. And uh, while he's thinking about this, Superman gets a jump on him, grabs him from behind, and is flying him somewhere, presumably. Um, he just needs a second to switch him off, Superman says, uh, to return him back to the sleep of oblivion that Amazo's always craved. And I guess I didn't know that about Amazo that he wished for nothing more than death. Uh, which I guess you're a android that has no free will or feelings or anything, I guess you would probably want to die. Um, uh, so... But Amazo uh, does not have free will, so he has to do uh, Ivo's bidding. So he uses the Canary Cry to disorient Superman. uh, And then uh, Superman comes back at him with some punches, a bunch of rapid-fire punches. uh, But Amazo uses the powers of the Elongated Man to stretch away, stretch out of the way. uh, When the limits of the elongation that his body can do uh, kind of fails and he snaps back and sort of like a slingshot or a, um, yeah, slingshot's probably the best. He kind of whips back at Superman and like, like knocks him really far away. Uh, and Amazo then uses the whirlwind powers from Red Tornado to keep him really disoriented and kind of pin him against a mountain. And Superman's like, you think a mountain can hold me? (laughs) Better think again, chump. Uh, when this is the part I want to, A pause on. This next thing that happens. Amazo's duplicate power ring that he has, which presumably is Green Lantern. He uses this ring to create a kryptonite beam. And, of course, kryptonite is the one element that can destroy Superman. Can Green Lantern make a kryptonite beam? Is that something that's in his wheelhouse? I never thought so. And so it got me to thinking, is this a full-on, it-just-does-what-Green-Lantern-can-do ring? Or is it a, it-can-do-what-Green-Lantern-can-do, but also it's got a section for kryptonite to kind of give Amazel the upper hand against Superman? So I'm thinking that is, because otherwise, Green-Lantern, I feel like that would be a story beat way more often than it is. You know, someone gets, you know, you hypnotize Green-Lantern into hating Superman, and then he creates a kryptonite beam to kill him? Like, boom. But I just, it feels like this is an Amazo-only special function of the ring. So Superman, with his last bit of strength to get away from this beam, kind of dives deeper into the mountain, kind of digging a tunnel to get away from the beam. And Amazo is outside, and he's like, wait a minute, I can't weaken him with the kryptonite. He needs to be at full strength. And meanwhile, Clark is kind of hiding in this tunnel to protect himself and uh, Amazo gets above him, and when Clark comes out to fight again, Amazo comes down from above, grabs him, and uh, kind of gets a hold of him. Superman does a, like a, looks like maybe a 30 degree turn, which is a very sharp, like a wicked sharp turn, uh, and uh, kind of uh, knocks Amazo off of him. Amazo pulls out his duplicate Wonder Woman lasso. So Wonder Woman must have been around. But I guess she's not deemed uh, worthy to steal her powers. He can only duplicate her uh, lasso. I mean, Wonder Woman has super strength. But I guess not more super strength than Superman. So it's kind of a redundancy. But Amazo then uses the lasso to get a hold of Superman. Superman, thinking quickly, spins like a top. Kind of. uh, You know that scene from Conan the Barbarian? Uh, where uh, Arnold is being held by the legs and kind of being spun around, kind of like that. That's what's happening. I'll probably post. You know what? I'll post. I'll post side by sides of Amazo being spun around like a um, by Superman with the lasso, and Conan uh, Arnold being spun around from his legs. I think it'll be a nice little sort of side by side. So Superman stops and flings Amazo off, uh, away from the lasso, and then uh, Superman throws the lasso. He says, uh, I'm sure Wonder Woman won't mind if I throw it into orbit somewhere beyond Saturn. So pretty far out there. I doubt it will ever come back as a plot point, so that's that's still just, that's just a fun little, like that, oh, yeah, you need, a, you need a duplicate lasso? One is in orbit around Saturn. Uh, Amazo comes back, flies back, and uses uh, frost breath on Superman, but it's weak. It's a weak frost breath because it's not full strength. Uh, Superman busts out easily. And Superman flies out of the ice and flies at Amazo. Uh, Amazo shrinks down using the Atom's powers to uh, avoid it and then grows back to normal size and looks around. And sees an owl flying around. And then he uses apparently... Apparently Hawkman gets this ability at some point to communicate with all birds. Seems kind of like he's stealing Aquaman's shtick. But he's apparently able to communicate with birds. And Amazo obviously stole that power uh, at one point in time. So he commands the bird, the owl, to attack Superman. But after he does that, he then uses Zatanna's powers to make the... uh, bird grow gigantic, the owl grow huge and gigantic and attack Superman. So Superman's like, oh, I don't want to attack an innocent animal. So he uses his super breath to blow it away outside of the radius of Amazo's abilities. So it, it returns to normal size and is no longer under his influence. That's good. Amazo then runs away. He flies away uh, and, and Superman gives chase. Amazo dives into the Uh, ocean, and Superman follows. And at the bottom of the ocean, Amazo creates a whirlwind using Red Tornado's powers. Um, Kind of holding Superman in place, but Superman's like, well, I could just go out the side. Easy peasy. Uh, But before he can, Amazo causes the walls of the whirlpool to become impenetrable using Zatanna's magic. So, Superman's like, oh no. I can't break through the sides. But I wonder if he did anything to the mouth of the whirlpool. You know, where the where the big part of the whirlpool is. Like, if you think of a tornado, it's really narrow at the bottom, and then it tapers out at the top. Uh, so that big opening at the top. And so uh, Superman grabs Amazo and flies them out of the ocean, out of the top. And uh, he says, you know, if you would have uh, secured that mouth, you would have had me. But uh, you're getting sloppy in your old age, Amezo. Amazo. Which, like, sick dig, dude. He doesn't age. He's an android. (laughs) Amazo then sees no real uh, choice but to use some more kryptonite to kind of keep Superman back a bit so he can think, so Amazo can think. And this is the point where Superman's like, why have I been so distracted by this fight? How has he gotten the jump on me this many times? I mean, he he hasn't stolen my powers or anything like that. I should be able to handle him easily. But he's realizing that this person who is trying to find his secret or knows his secret identity and is, is like spooking him has kind of distracted him. So his full attention isn't on this fight. And so it's like, hmm. Um, this is the point where Superman realizes that Amazo hasn't stolen his powers, which is the obviously the easy way to for Amazo to defeat him. So he's like, hmm, this gives me an advantage because he can't steal my powers. So I, I, I should be able to to get him now, now that I've cleared my mind and I now I know I have the upper hand. So he flies at Amazo to get him again. Uh, and Amazo stretches his fingers out uh, using the elongated man's powers. Uh, Superman grabs him and spins them around him, tying him up. And Superman's like, well, I, you know, Uh, All we need now is a do-not-open-till-Christmas tag, and we're all set. Ha, ha, ha. Christmas already happened, Superman. This is coming out in January, you fool. You buffoon. And so Amazo doesn't seem defeated. He doesn't act defeated. He's got a lot of confidence to him. And that's because he still has his power ring, his Green Lantern power ring. So he uses a uh, construct to make a big fist and punch him in the face. Uh, Superman, that is. And Amazo then thinks, hmm, I only possess a portion of each JLA's powers. I've only been able to fight the Kryptonian to a draw this far. I need more power, but I can't steal Superman's. What can I do? Ah, yes, yes, there is one place I can go to steal the power I need permanently. And so this is another thing. I don't know what the limits of... Green Lantern's power ring actually are, because uh, Amazo uh, starts to flee, and while he does, he shoots the ground, he shoots the earth and stone, and makes these monsters, but they're not, like, green or anything, they look like they're alive, and so I'm really, really confused about what Green Lantern's power ring can do, or what Amazo's power ring can apparently do, because it's just, it doesn't make any sense in terms of what I know about Green Lantern, you know uh, it's weird. Um, so these monsters attack Superman and Amazos able to escape. Uh, but he but Superman knows that he'll be able to find him because Superman can quote um, count the facets of an insect's eye or hear the falling of a feather from a thousand miles away. So so he'll be able to find him. no problem. We then cut to where Amazo is at, and he is at the Fortress of Solitude. He grabs the giant, only Superman can lift it key, because obviously he has the powers of Superman, and puts it in the keyhole and goes inside the Fortress. We then cut to Superman arriving, and... <laughs> uh, for the next, there's a text box that says, for the next several minutes, the lofty halls of the Fortress of Solitude echo with the sounds of savage combat, and then at last, there's silence. Um, Soon after, in the hidden, rocky mountain retreat of the hideous, disfigured Professor Ivo, uh, Amazo arrives with Superman over his shoulders, which is like, oh gosh, he did it. He got the upper hand. He got whatever power he was looking for and got the, the jump on Superman and defeated him. So, Amazo puts Superman into the life siphon machine, and they begin to power it up, but um, as as Ivo is powering it up, he says, a moment more, and I will be a man again, not some misshapen beast, and Superman's eyes open, and he turns his head and says, unfortunately, Ivo, and he busts out of the, the siphon machine chamber and says, that's... A moment you don't have. And Ivo's shocked. He's like, whoa, whoa, what? What's going on? And then he turns to Amazo and says, Amazo, stop him. Don't let Superman touch me. And Superman says, sorry, Ivo, but I'm afraid he can't hear you. Uh, once Amazo delivered me here, most of his internal wiring self-destructed, returning him to that sleep of ob- oblivion he has always so desperately craved. Which, like, again, bringing up the fact that the only thing that Amazo wants is to die. Um, kind of a downer, uh, but I get it. We then cut back to uh, what happened in the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, Superman, using his X-ray vision, sees that Amazo has grabbed the bottled city of Kandor, uh, which, if you don't know, the bottled city of Kandor is a miniaturized city, Kandor, from the planet of Krypton, and is filled with Kryptonians. Uh, it was done that typically, I think, by Brainiac, Brainiac's the person who shrunk it, I think. Uh, don't quote me on that. I've not read basically anything about the city of Kandor. I just know that that's what it is. Uh, but Superman gets there, and Amazo thinks that he's absorbed the powers of these, like, thousands of Kryptonians inside this tiny city. So he thinks he should be, like, thousands of times stronger than Superman. So he goes to punch him. You know, punch him right right in the chest. But it doesn't do anything to Superman. And he's like, what? I don't get it. Uh, So Superman punches him through the chest. And then he explains that since Amazo was last around, the bottled city of Kandor has been replaced by a different city. The, The bottled city of Kandor has been brought to regular size and put on a planet in another dimension. So you know, those those Kryptonians are out there in another dimension, living life at normal size. But the Bottle has a different city of an alien race that have always been this small, and their native son has always been yellow. So they don't have powers to steal because they've never had powers ever. So Amazo stole nothing. So Superman then, quickly, at super speeds, reprograms Amazo to do only what he says, and he has him take him to Ivo, and You know, kind of do this ruse that Superman has done. Uh, Superman then grabs Amazo and Ivo. He tells Ivo that he's going to try his hardest to find a cure for his affliction that won't threaten the lives of others. But he'll have to spend his time behind bars, obviously, because he's a criminal. We then cut back to the following morning. Or we cut to the following morning at the Daily Planet. Uh, Not George Taylor. That's Golden Age. Perry White is talking to Clark and I, talking about his, you know, newest story about Superman fighting Amazo, you know, saying, oh, it's good to be friends with Superman, Clark. was like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> so uh, Clark then goes into his office and he's thinking about the guy who knows his secret identity. And he's thinking and he's thinking and he's thinking. And he's realizing that maybe something was weird about the message on his mirror. And he goes back to his apartment and kind of scans it with his supervision and realizes that it was written on his mirror with a special chemical, an invisible ink, basically, that wouldn't become visible for several hours after being exposed to the air. So now he knows exactly who wrote these messages. So he flies back to WGBS and asks, as Superman, not as Clark, And asks Ryan and Presto if he can talk to them. And uh, Ryan says, of course, you know, oh, this is my sister's boy, Presto. Um, And Superman's like, yeah, I, I know who he is. We've met, haven't we, Presto? And Presto's like, oh, so you finally found out, huh? And Superman says, it wasn't difficult when I finally thought about it. And he reveals that Presto while being a stage magician is also a hypnotist and then he reveals some of the most buckwild things that this guy has done to his uncle so just the other night he was hypnotizing his uncle to cure his insomnia but after doing that he rifled through his files because he's an obituary editor so he needs to have files on all the important per- people that he writes obituaries about and he's looking through these files, trying to find, like, dirt or whatever. For whatever reason, he doesn't say why he wants to know the secrets. He just finds them fascinating. And then while his uncle is still under the effects of this hypnotism, he asks him, what's the biggest secret you have hidden in your files? And Ryan, the obituary editor, pauses and said, Superman's secret identity is Clark Kent. And then, and then Presto's like, well, I just thought it would be kind of, it would be fun to mess with you. And it gave me a real sense of power because I'm a little freak. And uh Superman's like well i didn't I didn't find it fun, and uh I kind of think you're kind of a dick uh so Superman realizes he can't have his secret identity out there anymore, just some random people knowing it. so then he we're in the point in time with Superman where he has the power to basically do anything. He's basically got God powers, so he uses some sort of eye beam to super hypnotize. Uh, Ryan and Presto to delete this information from both their conscious minds and their subconscious minds and then he rifles through Ryan's files to find the copy of the diary that accidentally got printed out of Ryan's word processor all those years ago all those 137 issues ago uh, and takes it so that it's no longer in his possession even though it's written in Kryptonese um, which I guess Ryan was given the ability to read at some point in time, which is weird. So, uh, and then Superman flies away thinking about, you know, it's good that the, you know, the secret's not known anymore in case I ever have children who follow in my footsteps, which is like wink, wink, nod, nod, John Kent, who is around now in, in modern times, uh, is the son of Superman and it has followed in his footsteps. Um, So that's the end of Superman special number three. It really feels like a 45 page issue because that fight took multiple pages and that's typically not like fights take maybe two, three, four pages depending on how much other B plot or other parts of the A plot are involved. But that fight was like 20 pages. It was very drawn out, but I think it was also very well paced, I guess. It was kind of a... It kind of drug on, but they they wrote a reason why it would because Superman's distracted and uh, Amazo you know, gets the jump on him. But 45 pages is a lot of pages for a comic book. It makes me realize like it's it's a very short-form narrative structure. Like 20-some pages feels like a good amount to get some story out, and maybe sometimes longer. Some stories I can think of that would benefit from maybe a page or two where things didn't need to get, you know, kind of hand waved. uh, So so but I understand why these issues only come up like once a year, because they are very long. And I bet editorially and writing and drawing and all that kind of stuff takes a lot of work. So I I really appreciate that. But uh, that is going to do it for this week's first episode, like I said, of issue by issue crisis. I will see you all next, not next, this Friday. Uh, with another crisis where we'll be talking about other—I mean, we got another Superman issue. Action Comics number five sixty-six comes up. Uh, but as always, hit us up on social: Instagram, Threads, Twitter—they're all in the show notes. Um, like I said in the the Golden Age episode, way more active on Instagram just because the visual medium is the is what fits best to this sort of thing. Uh, so. Way more active on Instagram. I try to be good on Twitter and and, and Threads, but sometimes I just forget. Uh, but uh, also, if you didn't listen to the Golden Age episode, I put out a you know New Year's resolution, Christmas gift sort of situation for you all to to do your hardest to go out and review and rate the the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and wherever you you do that because it really does help the show, and it would it it makes me feel nice that you like the show, uh, and even if you have some critiques of the show, I, I think I would like those as well, because I want the show to be as good as possible, because I don't want to put out a shoddy product, and I don't want to force you guys to listen to a shoddy product, so, so yeah, uh, but until next time, until Friday, uh, I will, I will see you all around, I've, as always, Nick Byers, see you later.